Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. These are coming from the TDIHC vault, so you'll also hear two hosts. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello, I'm Holly Fry, and I am sitting in for Tracy V. Wilson this week. It's December 27th, and on this day in 1900, Cary Nation smashed the bar at the Cary Hotel in Wichita, Kansas. And I will tell you why she did that. Nation was born Cary Amelia Moore in Kentucky on November 25th, 1846. On November 21st of 1867, at the age of 21, Cary married a man named Charles Gloyd. But she left Gloyd just a few months into the marriage when she found out she was pregnant. She believed that Charles could not support a family because he was an alcoholic, and Charles died shortly after the baby was born. Carrie next married a journalist, lawyer, and preacher named David Nation, who she believed had been sent to her by God after she prayed for a solution to her problem of being a single mother with no income. The marriage was not very happy, though. According to Carrie's autobiography, the biggest conflict was that she was much more devout than her preacher husband. Carrie's faith continued to grow throughout her life. At a Methodist conference in Texas in 1884, she was deeply moved during one of the sermons. Later writing of the experience, quote, My first impression was that an angel was talking and that the house was ascending to heaven. I felt my natural heart expanding to an enormous size. And this moment led her to the decision that she should devote her entire life to God. Carrie became involved in charity work in Medicine Lodge, Kansas, where she and David had moved, working with women's and children's causes and starting a local chapter of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. It was through her volunteer work, offering religious counseling to imprisoned men, that Carrie determined that most criminal behavior was linked to alcohol, which only intensified her fervor for temperance. She began to organize protests, which consisted of groups of women like herself gathering outside or just inside of bars and saloons to sing hymns and talk about God. Nation did not want the men who ran those bars and saloons to get into legal trouble. She literally blamed drink and not them for their sins. And so she tried to counter the lure of alcohol with the promise of religious salvation. She also wrote to the county attorney and state attorney many times to report the sale of alcohol in Kansas, and sometimes got her information on illicit alcohol sales from the men that she ministered to in jail. In June of 1900, Carrie heard what she believed to be a divine voice, speaking to her, promising to stand by her in her fight against alcohol, and directing her to go to Kiowa, Kansas, a place that she knew illegal alcohol sales were taking place. Carrie Nation traveled immediately to Kiowa, walked into a men's club carrying a number of small parcels, and told the owner, quote, Mr. Dobson, I told you last spring to close this place. You did not do it. Now I have come down with another remonstrance. Get out of the way. I do not want to strike you, but I am going to break this place up. And then she hurled her parcels, which were in fact paper-wrapped bricks around the bar, making good on her promise to destroy the place. This was the first in a long series of bar smashings performed by Carrie. 
But one of the most famous was the assault on the Cary Hotel on December 27, 1900, a bar that she selected as a target because of an indecent painting that was hanging above the bar. She went at the place with a cane that she had reinforced by strapping an iron rod to it, and she did thousands of dollars of damage in the process, and that resulted in her arrest. Her time in jail did not deter Carrie Nation. She continued in her mission to destroy establishments that served spirits or alcohol of any kind, and she became quite famous in the process, particularly for her use of a hatchet as a means of destruction, something that she adopted during one of her many smashings, which she started to call hatchetations. She went on to start two temperance newspapers, and she made public appearances both in the U.S. and abroad, always with her trusty hatchet and Bible, always speaking about the importance of temperance, and selling souvenir photos of herself holding that hatchet and Bible along the way. Carrie died in 1911 after collapsing during a speaking engagement. She did not live long enough to see the 18th Amendment passed in 1919, which outlawed alcohol sales nationally. She also did not live to see its repeal in 1933, which ended prohibition. If you would like to learn more about Carrie Nation and her life, which is quite fascinating, uh, there is a two-part episode by Stuff You Missed in History Class in the archives. You can find that in July of 2017. I want to thank Chandler Mays and Casey Pegram for their work on the audio for this show. And I want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to This Day in History Class on iHeartRadio's app, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tomorrow, you should come back because we're going to talk about an important moment in early film history. Hey, y'all, it's Eves. I'm at home keeping warm for the holidays, but history does not stop. So let's get into another episode. The day was December 27, 1512. The Laws of Burgos, a set of laws regulating the relationship between Spaniards and indigenous people in the Americas, was promulgated in Burgos' Crown of Castile. Though the laws of Burgos have been recognized for even attempting to improve the treatment of indigenous people, they've been criticized for not truly doing anything to make their lives better. As the Spanish colonized the Caribbean islands, they decimated the indigenous populations that lived there. When Christopher Columbus began his expeditions in the Caribbean, the Taino were the largest group of indigenous people of the Caribbean. But by the mid-1500s, there were barely any Taino people left due to the diseases the Spaniards brought. Indigenous people were often physically and sexually abused. They were overworked and their customs were often stripped away from them and many times they were outright killed. Some people in Spanish colonial society objected to this mistreatment and abuse. Antonio de Montesinos, a friar and missionary on the island of Hispaniola, called for an end to the enslavement of and violence committed against the indigenous people on the island in 1511. Many colonists rejected the call and denounced Antonio de Montesinos, but King Ferdinand II, called an ecclesiastical and academic panel to decide how to deal with the mistreatment of indigenous people in the Caribbean. On December 27, 1512, Ferdinand II issued the Laws of Burgos, 
officially known as the Royal Ordinances for the Good Governance and Treatment of the Indians. The laws were originally intended for the island of Hispaniola, which is made up of modern-day Haiti and the Dominican Republic, but they were extended to cover Jamaica and Puerto Rico. The text included 35 laws. Four amendments were later added in July of 1513. The laws established encomenderos' responsibilities toward the people they held in encomienda. Encomienda was a legal system instituted by the Spanish crown that granted colonists the right to collect tribute from and control the labor of indigenous people. The laws of Burgos required that the encomendero, or grantee, provide food, lodging, clothing, and religious instruction to the people they held in encomienda. They also outlined the kinds and amount of labor that could be required of those held in encomienda. They banned corporal punishment of indigenous people except by certain justices. But the laws did not address the treatment of indigenous people during the course of conquest. Encomienda was supposed to reduce the abuses of the earlier system known as repartimiento and allow for a more humane approach to labor for the indigenous people. But encomienda soon proved to be a form of slavery, and most of the laws of the Burgos Code were not enforced. Throughout the early 1500s, people continued to decry the treatment of indigenous people. Bartolome de las Casas, a former encomendero, spoke out against the mistreatment of indigenous people. And in 1530, a royal decree banned the enslavement of indigenous people. But violations happened frequently, and the ban was reversed four years later. But the protest continued, and in 1542, the Council of the Indies wrote the new laws of the Indies for the good treatment and preservation of the Indians. King Charles V enacted the laws, which abolished indigenous slavery and ended the encomienda system. While indigenous people still had to pay tribute, they could not be demanded to work for free. The new laws were opposed by many colonists in the Americas, it did lead to the liberation of some indigenous laborers, but in 1545, the king revoked the controversial law stating that encomenderos could not pass on encomienda to their heirs. A lighter version of the new laws was issued in 1552. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to send us a shout on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at T-D-I-H-C podcast. And if you prefer email, send us a note at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.